This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Hockey News Podcast presented to you by Christian Hockey. It's Matt Larkin here. I'm with Ryan Kennedy. We are back from St. Louis in our office. And if you notice, if you're watching, you'll see it. If you're listening, you'll notice I'm not being interrupted by anyone right uh-huh. now. And that's because Ken, we left him behind on purpose. Uh, he's off to Arizona being the Hockey News West. So he'll be receiving some Western-themed stories from Kenny in the next few weeks. So it's Matt and Ryan here. And we are doing a special mailbag edition of the podcast because, of course, since you last heard from us, there's been no new hockey in the NHL, at least. Indeed. Exactly. So we're going to use that as an opportunity to answer some questions from you guys. We're going to start with this one from Brad Payne. And Brad says, is there any hope of ever seeing a disciplinary system that is consistent and standardized? So referring to player safety, I presume. Or are we always going to be the subject Subject to the whims of the board and the size of the player involved. So, Ryan, I'll, I'll let you start with this one. Yeah, I, I think that, un- unfortunately, it is the latter, that it is going to always be, to some extent, up to the folks at NHL head office. And I, I think the size of the player involved is a, a big reason why, because a bigger player is hypothetically going to have more of a devastating impact um, than a smaller player, but you have to look at injuries. You have to look at you know the situation surrounding it. You know, was it retaliatory? Like I don't, I don't see there being a standardized way of doling out punishment unless you had a really long list of factors and you know you'd thought of everything and you know, there was some sort of point system. But even there, I, I don't think you would have total satisfaction and. It's, it's difficult because even during games, you know, officials can make mistakes. And sometimes, I mean, you know, not everybody agrees with the decisions that the Department of Player Safety makes, even when there is replay. So it's, it's a tricky job. And I, and I think about, you know, Nolan Foote at the World Juniors. This is not an NHL example, but, you know, he was booted out of a medal round game from Canada for what was purportedly a headshot. Upon further review, he did not hit the player in the head. And he he was not suspended, but he did miss practically the entire game. There's just so much going on in a fast game that I think it would be tough to standardize it. And I'm not sure if players would even want that. I, I think to an extent they do like the idea of being able to appeal to a person rather than a set of rules. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. Yeah, it is qualitative in nature and especially during the, the you know split-second judgment calls from officials. But even when they're studying, the, the DOPS is studying the plays afterward, it's still based on its judgment. You're following the rule book, of course, but it's not like it's mathematical or, or scientific. It's not robots operating at exact angles. And I do think, Brad, you made a really good point here with the player size. I think player size uh, has a big factor, and more so than in the past, because now that small players are actually getting more space to become legitimate NHLers, the game has changed, you're seeing more of those mismatches, mm. and suddenly you you can have a defenseman the size of Tory Krug right. in the NHL, which means he could get hit by someone the size of 
Tom Wilson or Zach Cashin. And I do think the player safety uh, is sympathetic toward the big player. Um, maybe sometimes to a fault, hard to say. Um, but guys like Wilson and Bufflin, I think they give them the benefit of the doubt because they're such big guys that no matter what they do, even when they hit someone cleanly, the impact is going to be violent. And I think they're right. very cogn- cognizant of that. Uh, in terms of a standardized system, I, I think we, we're not going to get that, but what we might get is just further amendments to the CBA because mm. if you're going to change something, it's got to be in the rule book. I still I say that all the time. People don't understand. If there's something you want to be punished, but there's no rule for it, I, I've said it tons of times. It's the Matt Cook rule. When he hit Mark Savard, the rule didn't exist yet. They created Rule 48. So I think if we see anything, we're going to see just new rules implemented. The next big one could be just the, the it could be the Ken Dryden rule. He's the one that's arguing in favor of just all types of headshots, including incidental, being considered illegal. So maybe we're going to get more amendments like that. As Ken reported from, from All Star Weekend, maybe we're going to see some new enforcements on cross checking. That's going to be the new slashing, the casual cross check. I think people are going to crack down on that. Um, but in terms of standardized change, I, I don't think we're going to get that. Mm. Uh, next question. These are sort of two related questions we're going to answer back to back. They're both, both about goaltending trade candidates. Um, so the first one is from Ed Klein. And, and Ed says, uh, if the Caps deal Braden Holtby before the deadline, what team would likely be his landing spot? So, Ryan, it's up to you first. Yeah, Ed, I, I don't think Washington will deal Braden Holtby. Even though Ilya Samsonov is playing fantastic and has probably usurped him as starter, at least for the time being in the regular season. But here's the rub. You're Washington. You're in your Stanley Cup window. You're the best team in the NHL. You want to have two good goalies. Samsonov's the young hot hand, but Holby's the guy that won them the Cup during a season where he did not play well in the regular season. Let's keep this in mind. So you've got the experience. It's like a Marc-Andre Fleury, Matt Murray it's situation exactly in Pittsburgh. It's Fleury-Murray. It's Fleury-Murray all over again. So I think even if you know you're going to lose Holtby in the summer to unrestricted free agency, you hold on to him because you can make that run. The second problem I see here is trade partners. You're not going to trade within your division, obviously, I would say not even your conference, because what if you face Braden Holtby? Angry Braden Holtby. Angry Braden Holtby knocking you out because you dealt him. So, And then I look at the Western Conference, and you you say, okay, well, how many of these teams could use a starting goaltender or afford a starting goaltender? The only one I could see is Edmonton if they dealt – Mike Smith back to Washington. The salaries aren't the same, but at least it's a little bit of ballast. And obviously, um, Washington would, uh, you know, probably give up something in return. I like the idea of Mike Smith going back the other way. That actually is is pretty. Yeah, because if you're Edmonton, you're in a playoff spot. Um, So Holby would be great for you. And, you know, if you're Washington, Mike Smith is as experienced as they come. He can steal you a game, but you, at that point, you're obviously saying Samsonov's our guy in the playoffs. I think that would be interesting, assuming Mike Smith, I, I believe he has a no-trade clause or a no-move clause, assuming he would be up for it, then that's kind of the only option I see right now. I think you're bang on, and I even wrote, I wrote don't think it happens. Um, and I even wrote Ed, uh, Edmonton as well. I think the team that's you know known to be looking for a goalie more than anyone else is the Carolina Hurricanes we mentioned a lot, but like you said, Ryan, they're in the same division. Mm. 
met in the first round last year. That's a plausible scenario again. So I don't think we see that happening. Uh, and and you know it's it is above all else it's the Flurry Murray situation where it, the two goalie system is just it's so much more important. The position is more demanding than it's ever been, and you're seeing even goalie you know goalie concussions are are becoming more and more common. It seems Tukarask is the latest victim as well. So you have to have not just an okay backup, but someone who can step in and be a, a viable starter. And, right. Uh, you know, I did a piece on it or in the magazine earlier this year where last season set a record for the most goalies ever in a season that started at least 30 games because the workloads are being so well distributed mm. and the number of goalies playing in the 60s or even 70s is coming way down. Uh, so for that reason, even if you're committed to Samsonov as your guy for the playoffs, I think you need that that high-end fallback. Uh, and especially because Holpe is not only is he a proven fallback, he's proven at coming in to relieve someone in the playoffs and winning a cup. Yeah. Like, that's specifically on his resume. Yeah. Like, relieved young guy when people thought I was over and then won <laughs> cup. Yeah. That's a nice thing to have in your back pocket if, you're, if you're Washington, right? Um, so to tie that to the next question, it's from Jeremy. I'm going to say the pronunciation is Buckert. Let's let's go with Buckert, okay? Maybe it's Buckert. Uh, I'm sorry, Jeremy, if I butchered it. Um, but he says, besides Alexander Georgiev, do you see any goalies getting traded before the deadline? Uh, Ryan, I know you have a goalie in mind, so we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, the, the name that, that really comes to mind is Jimmy Howard in Detroit. You know, the Red Wings are rebuilding. Obviously, they're not going anywhere this season. Howard is a pending unrestricted free agent. So you're looking at a pure rental here and a guy that comes with very little risk. If Again, you know, you made an excellent point about sharing the crease. And Jimmy Howard's the kind of guy where he can still steal you a game here and there. I mean, it's been rough in Detroit, no doubt about it. But that's a very young team that needs a lot of parts. I don't think you can put everything on Jimmy Howard for, by any stretch of the imagination. If he's a guy who has to come in for an injured starter or even a young guy that is still finding his way and you're getting into those crucial late season games heading into the playoffs, Jimmy Howard, I feel, can be a nice stabilizing force for a short period of time. And that's exactly what a team would be looking for in this instance. And he doesn't cost that much either, which helps. Mm -hmm. And we know the Leafs have been linked to Georgiev a lot, but I wonder if Jimmy Howard would be a fallback just as an experienced backup. Obviously, I think Detroit would have to eat, you know, 50% of the cap hit on that one. But I could see something being worked out there. Um, The guys I'm looking at, it's a tandem. It's Robin Lehner, it's Corey Crawford in Chicago. It's one or the other, very obviously. Both are pending unrestricted free agents. Both would be considered among the best, if not the best, two goaltending options on the rental market for the playoffs. Uh, Corey Crawford is probably the guy that Chicago would rather trade because they want to have more time to negotiate with Robin Lehner. But Crawford has the ability to control where he goes, of course, because of the clause in his contract. Mm. Also, Crawford doesn't really have much motivation to waive it. He's got two Stanley Cup rings. So if he's comfortable where he is... And in his family situation, I don't know if there's going to be a lot of motivation for him to go and chase a cup right now, Mm. Uh, especially now that he's finally just sort of getting life back in order. He's been relatively healthy, knock on wood, so far this season. Uh, And Lehner puts Stan Bowman in an interesting sort of predicament because I I do think Chicago wants Robin Lehner to be the long-term starter. He's played well enough to show last year was not a fluke. He's established as one of the better goalies in the league. He's much younger, I think seven years younger than Crawford. So he's who you want as your starter. He's the one you want to commit to long-term. But as the, you know, now it's sort of people call it the John Tavares rule of a few years ago when you have a a prominent UFA that you're not sure about, can you risk losing him for nothing? Mm. And, And if Lehner decides to test the open market, Chicago could risk losing him. So do you, be, you know, if you know Corey Crawford doesn't want to go anywhere, 
do you dangle Leonard approaching the deadline if you're out of it? Because that's a team a situation for a team, let's say like Carolina. If you know, I know James Reimer's gotten hot, but if you're not, you know, if he sort of reverts to his normal state and, and Peter Mrazek does what he's doing so far this season, mm. I think that's someone who could really be upgraded by a guy like Leonard. So it's a matter of Chicago deciding, you know, do you want to trade the better guy for the better return? Or do you want to trade the guy who's not going to hurt you as much to trade, but you need his cooperation? But either way, I could see one of the two getting moved. Uh, before we get to our next question, just a reminder, we're still taking live questions right now, and including a question from Steven, apparently. Uh, Jeremy, who asked the last question, said you guys got his name right. Woo! Very few people actually do, so congratulations. Nice. Attaboy, Jer- which, which one was it? Was it the Buchert or Bueckert? Probably Buchert. That's what I said first. That sounds right. Yes. All right, Jeremy. Thank you. Uh, but yes, like I was saying, uh, we're, we're live right now. Uh, we've, we're answering the early bird questions first, but we're still taking more questions if you want to fire some through. Uh, next question is from the best name of the day, Pixie Lane. Mm. Pixie Lane says, compared to Elvis Merzlikens, Oliver, Oliver Bjorkstrand hasn't had as much hype in Columbus of late, but he has 11 points in his past six games, including nine goals. He's on pace for nearly 60 points this year, 27 points in 38 games, so 60-point pace. Mm-hmm. Is he a good candidate to become a late-blooming star? Yeah, it, it's interesting because Oliver Bjorkstrand had a tremendous junior career with the Portland Winterhawks of the WHL. He's great at the World Juniors for Denmark, and he was a big-time scorer. I think what we're seeing here is a player that came into an organization in Columbus that was really deep in its forwards and played a, a very heavy game. Um, but also, he's a, he's a slight-framed guy. He's like six foot, 177 pounds now. Obviously, he's put on pounds and muscles since coming into the league. He's 24 right now. I suppose you could call him a late-blooming star. Um, for me, it's just a matter of we always saw the potential, but it was going to take a while to get there because of his frame. And... Also, you know, now you're getting opportunity in Columbus as that roster has changed over the years. You got injuries. Um, things have sort of opened up in that regard. So I, for me, I see a case of a maturing young player getting the right opportunities. And obviously for Columbus, uh, this is fantastic news. I, I mostly agree. You know, it, it, Bjorkstrand always had pretty good pedigree. It's not like he was a first-round pick, but he was someone who rose quickly, became a really prolific junior scorer. And I know in our office we were all quite high on him, and he was regularly on my you know fantasy hockey early season sleeper list for several seasons. He's picking a great year to bust out because Columbus needs him so badly uh, after the losses they had uh, um, personnel-wise in the summer. Um, looking at his numbers, so of course during this hot streak, the six game, nine goal and six game, he's scoring on 37.5% of his shots. That's obviously not sustainable, but it's a hot streak. That's understandable. If you're scoring a lot, you're going to have a high shooting percentage when you're scoring a lot in a small cluster. If you look deeper at the full season numbers, I see signs of legitimate breakout. Okay, so he's converting 12.2% of his shots. That, in terms of his career norms, that's totally normal. It's not like, like the outlier numbers is when William Carlson scores on more than 20% of his shots in his 43-goal season. You know that's not sustainable, and it crashes the next year. Whereas 12.2%, totally sustainable for a guy like Bjorkstrand, Mm -hmm. who's high skill. Uh, And his shot rate is by far the best of his career so far at 5-on-5. That's, to me, the number one indicator. He's getting to the net more. He's getting more opportunities. He's shooting the puck more when he has the puck on his stick rather than pass it. So he's he's putting himself in position to succeed much more now. And that partially could be the result of opportunity, too, playing with better better linemates. But I think that's going to continue for the foreseeable future mm-hmm. because Columbus needs him. So um, considering that, you know, if you asked me two years ago, three years ago, do I think Oliver Bjorkstrand is going to be, a, you know, 
a 30-goal guy in the NHL, I would have said yes. So to me now, this is confirming what I always thought was going to happen. It just took longer than expected. Uh, <laughs> now we're going to go to sort of a, a semi, uh, only semi-series halftime type of question from Justin Vernold. And he wants to know, is Ken Campbell a real guy? I think what he means is just, you know, Ken, Kenny has a larger-than-life personality, so he, he wants us to let him know if this if that's the real Ken in everyday life. Yeah. <laughs> and it really is. Totally is. Like, it couldn't be more. Yeah. Like he's, that, yeah. he's a very genuine person, and... He has very strong opinions, and he he does it out of a love for the game. And I I think that's why he makes people angry as much as he does, is that he's he's trying he's trying to almost warn people about some of these issues, whether it's headshots or the way junior hockey players are treated. Um, it's like he legit cares, mm-hmm. and it's not always easy to be the guy that is saying, hey, the world's not perfect, especially when it comes to sports, but he believes it. Right, and when you're 97 years old, which he is, <laughs> you've been around since the start of you know the days of the Ford Pass, mm. you become a custodian of the game, which I think Ken is, and that's why people often get on him for, for being negative, but it's, it comes from a place of just, he loves the game and he cares about it so much. Uh, a very genuine person who cares a lot about other people. Very true. That's a defining thing about, about Kenneth Campbell. But yes, in a nutshell, the loud, crazy, argumentative Ken, that's his Ken in, in life. Like yeah, I Just Ken ask him if he likes jogging. Yeah, like when was the last time when was the last time I yelled at Ken like in a non hockey context? Like forty eight hours ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. so, I, gotta, I gotta say he's very caring and go out of his way to help people. Yes, yep. there you go. So that's Kenny. He's out there in Arizona if you want to track him down, <laughs> maybe scare him if you he didn't listen to himself. this. <laughs> yeah, he's very small. He's as small as he looks yeah. when you see him on camera. Uh, next question is from Kyle Graham, uh, and I guess Kyle's got Kobe Bryant on the mind. Of course, the tragic crash that happened yesterday, losing Kobe from the sports world, and his daughter, of course, many other people in that helicopter crash. Our, our hearts go out to everyone involved in that crash, their families. And Kyle asks, if Michael Jordan is, is Wayne Gretzky, if LeBron is Mario, then who would you compare Kobe Bryant to in terms of his impact, his talent, his impact on the sports? So I'll let you start it off, Ryan. Yeah, and I mean, it, it comes pretty quickly to mind is Sidney Crosby. And there's a lot of parallels in terms of their professional careers when it comes to championships, when it comes to the passion and the drive that they brought to their respective sports. You think about that, that vision um, and that determination to be the best. I think they both had that. Um, and even if you break it down further, you know, Sidney Crosby kind of saved an organization that had a previous phenom in Mario Lemieux, whereas Kobe, you know, I mean, he, he had Shaq with the Lakers as well, but, you know, Kobe was coming into an organization that had been known for Magic Johnson and the Showtime Lakers, and he brought, he helped bring them back to glory. I guess Malkin is kind of Shaq in this regard. Yeah. That, that, that one doesn't work as well, but whatever, they're both tall. Um, but yeah, just, you know, the the admiration they got from their fellow athletes, um, the sort of total package game they both played, and, and obviously the, the overall success they had both as individuals and as team players winning titles. And really, if you're thinking about their place in their respective sports histories, you know, we, we talk about Crosby being a top five player of all time. And 
I, you know, I'm not as up on the NBA, but I would say Kobe Bryant is probably in that conversation as well top on the five, NBA side, 10, maybe yeah. top five, top 10 all time. So that to me is the, uh, the obvious parallel. I think it's a good pick. I'm going to stay with my pick. I'm going to stay uh, in the same franchise, same organization. I'm going to say Yarmir Yager. Uh, the only thing that they don't share, of course, is the championships. Yager only has the one Stanley Cup ring, but I see a lot of other similarities because uh, you know, unlike Crosby, Yager, part of his defining legacy is also his swagger and his sort of just being his otherness. And throughout his mm. career, him sort of just being kind of cultured and different. And obviously, you know, Kobe Bryant's an Oscar winner. Like he's he's more than just basketball, right? So mm. I, I think Yarmir Yager also has that type of personality in addition to all the scoring titles and winning an MVP and all, doing all the great things he did on the ice. And I think... Other than championships, I think the list of individual accolades are pretty similar. And, you know, Kobe also was still dominant when the Lakers were bad. Yarmir Yager also had years of being dominant on some bad teams. Yarmir Yager played in the shadow of a really big all-time superstar, Mary Lemieux. And Kobe played sometimes in the shadow, you can make the argument, of Shaq as well. So, And I think also at times, you know, there were... There was talk during Kobe's career about his chemistry with certain teammates, how well he, he fit. And I think Yager also at different points in his career was mentioned in the same light so I think mm. that would be my pick but it's not it's not a perfect fit but if for the sake of answering the question I, I think Yager is my pick yeah. uh, next question is from Eldon King and Eldon says what bigger names do you think will be available for Seattle in the expansion draft so that's 2021 and before you answer Ryan just a reminder in terms of guys that are uh, eligible if we're looking at veterans because Eldon said bigger names so he's referring to you know more established guys uh, no trade clause, you can still be claimed. No movement clause, you cannot be claimed. You're exempt mm-hmm. unless you're willing to waive it, which can happen because Marc-Andre Fleury, he did choose to waive his. Right. So for me, the most obvious candidate here is TJ Oshie of the Washington Capitals. This is a, a veteran player who has roots in Washington State. So that's a huge one right there. He's a Stanley Cup winner. He's a veteran on a fairly substantial contract. And I I think, you know, once we get around to the Seattle expansion draft, the Capitals are going to be looking forward and not necessarily on the next generation, but they're going to have to be at least considering it. So I think TJ Oshie is the perfect candidate to be the first captain of Seattle. Not not just Mm -hmm. to be on the team, but I feel he would be the perfect guy to lead that team into its maiden NHL voyage. Interesting. Very interesting pick. Uh, I have a a couple. One is Yanni Gord of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, You know, I was, I'm not going to say hindsight 2020, because admittedly I was critical of that signing the day it happened. I I thought that they were projecting just a little too much. He had a great rookie year, but he hadn't done a ton yet. The sample size was small when they signed him last year. Cap hit is more than $5 million. And now, as usual, Tampa's heading for the cap crunch with Sergachev, Anthony Sorelli, who I think is the number one Selkie candidate right now, mm-hmm. even though I know the PHWA, our midseason vote, he didn't finish in the top three. He was my number one. Uh, but he's an RFA, and, and Tampa's projected cap space. They can't afford Sergachev and Sorelli. So the only thing, the only reason why I have another name along with Gord is Tampa might need to trade Gord this summer because right. like, they got to sort out the cap this year. Um, but otherwise, if he's on the roster by then, and this year he's only got, I believe, six goals in almost 50 games. Mm. So pretty disastrous, not earning, not playing to the standard of that cap hit. Um, the other guy I'd be looking at is Ryan Johansson of the Nashville Predators. Interesting. And obviously this assumes that the Predators continue their trend of, of kind of, you know, seemingly passing their Stanley Cup window. 
they fired Peter Laviolette. They're in danger of missing the playoffs this year. If that trend continues, they might be a team that's looking to get out from under some of their veteran deals next year. Ryan Johansson, $8 million. I think it's $8 million. It's at least $8 million, if not slightly more. But it's $8 million minimum is his cap hit. Uh, and he signed through the end of 2025. He also Ooh. has no... Uh, if I remember correctly, if I if my research is right, he has no clauses on his contract that are restricting his movement in an expansion draft. But he's also a big enough name that on an expansion team, he could he could be your number one center for your totally. first year, right? Totally. I call it like Andrew Brunetting. <laughs> like uh-huh. Andrew Brunette wasn't a center and he's typically a winger, but he was a guy that like was on a lot of expansion teams and just, you know, he put up his 65 points. He was a veteran who yeah. could distribute the puck to younger, faster players around him. Yeah. So you could do the same thing with Ryan Johansson. Um, and I just think that, you know, if you look at Nashville, the big picture, I think it's becoming clear that he's not, you know, he's he's been fine. Um, they they lost the Seth Jones trade. Now yeah. it's looking like it's handily, <laughs> yeah, if I'm being polite about it. Uh, and we know Ryan Johansson, he's not a number one center. Maybe he's over the rest of his career can be a number two for a while. Certainly. Or a number one on an expansion team. Mm-hmm. And it's, he's still sort of a name brand. Uh, obviously, he played his junior hockey in Portland, so he, oh, that's could, be a rel- he could be a familiar face to that yep. market. Uh, so that's a guy that I would watch for next year. Nice. Uh, a few more questions. We got another one from Jeremy Bucher. Jeremy just coming and firing today, but yeah. we're going to get to a few more non-Jeremy ones first. <laughs> uh, and a reminder, we're still live if you want to get in some buzzer beater questions before we finish today. Uh, we're going to go with one from Noah Laforte. And Noah says, what do the Jets do, buy or sell? Well, the Jets are in a tough spot because they're teetering on the brink. They're, they're struggling to keep their head above water and stay in the playoff race. To me, not every team that's teetering is one that you, you automatically sell, and not everyone is an automatic buyer. I think it depends on the team and the situation. To me, the Jets, this is a team that's two years removed from a conference final, two years from, removed from almost winning the President's Trophy. They have Blake Wheeler, their captain, getting deeper into his 30s. Uh, they have, I think, most of their good young players have matured into their win-now window. So I think now for the Jets, especially when you don't know, we talked about it in our last podcast about Paul Maurice's yep. future, what's going to happen? I think you got to go all in now and try and repair the right side of that blue line. Uh, and you buy. I, if I'm Kevin mm. Chevelday off, I'm buying. Mm. I'm more conservative, and I say uh, neither buy nor sell. I think stand you stand pat. pat, and you try to figure out the Dustin Bufflin situation. If not now, then obviously in the summer, because he still has one more year on that contract, because you need some clarity there. I think that's that's a huge problem for the Jets, is they're not really sure how they can proceed yet. And it's it's really hampered them, but the, the talent is there. And you know, I talked to Mark Shifley during All Star Weekend, and he said like the messaging, like they still know their system, they still believe in their structure, uh, which is essentially saying they still believe in Paul Maurice. It's just a matter of consistency, getting some wins together, and then obviously what he did not say was the Dustin Bufflin situation, which we did not address in that interview. Mm-hmm. But I, I think you just stand pat, and if you miss the playoffs this year. It's rough, but you still have so many good pieces. I, I don't think you can give up too much of the future, but I also don't think that you can count on making a run. So I would stand pat and let the chips fall where they may. All right. No fair. I didn't know I could answer stand pat. You, pull, you pulled the Alexander the Great. You cut the Gordian knot. That's right. Man, I didn't know that was allowed. I just stepped on the Rubicon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, next question is from Mike Karstensen. And Mike asks, with Freddie Anderson and the Leafs' decor looking shaky as of late, does Kyle Dubas pull the trigger to acquire a backup goalie and upgraded defense? Is Team Brass as worried as fans 
and feel a move needs to be made. Mike Carsonson really making use of his 280 characters there. Way cutting out the small words. I, I, I know what you're all about there, Mike. There you go. I, I definitely think, I mean, the, the Leafs are, are well aware of what their, their shortcomings are right now. And obviously the salary cap is a big hindrance. I think goalie is the number one priority for the simple fact that the defense is getting healthier. Jake Muzzin is coming back. And, I mean, obviously Morgan Riley is a huge loss, but he will return eventually. We haven't seen Muzzin, Riley, and Rasmus Sandin all in the same blue line since the very start of the season. Mm-hmm. And I think if you can only make one move, it should be for that 1B goaltender because I think the defense core could be at least serviceable once everybody is healthy and Rasmus Sandin, you know, continues to play a top six role versus being on the Marlies. The question, of course, with the goaltending is, yes, but at what cost? We know the Rangers want to have a substantial return for Georgiev. Um, you know, are there other options out there to pursue, like uh, Jimmy Howard, for example? Possibly, you know, Kasperi Kapanen's name has been out there. I think Andreas Janssen um, would have to be a consideration in terms of at least negotiating a, a trade deal with another team. You know, Jeremy Bracco is an excellent playmaker who's just kind of blocked from a top six role on the Leafs right now. And we know the teams want either roster players or guys that are close. And that's good for the Leafs because they don't have a lot of high-end draft picks. Ironically, they have a ton of, like, sixth and seventh rounders this year, but nobody really wants those. Um, They don't have their first rounder, and that's a big issue. But I think you have to get that netminder at least. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty well known that they're aggressively pursuing upgrades at those two positions. I think it was Pierre Lebrun that was reporting about it most prominently over the past week. Uh, we know they're chasing that backup option. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they end up getting Georgiev. And I think the name, and you know, there's a lot of debates over what's the fair price. Uh, and a lot of reports out there seem kind of, I, I don't believe them in terms of what the Rangers asking price is. But to me, a, a package involving Bracco would make a ton of sense mm. because Bracco, he doesn't really have le- much left to do at the AHL level. He's been a pretty good scorer. Numbers are a bit down this year, but it could be a case of a guy's just ready. He's bored because he had such a big year yeah. last year. And the Marlies aren't as talented not as, as they talented. were he's last still, year. Yeah, he's still getting lots of assists. Yeah. Uh, but I think there's just no way he cracks the Leafs lineup because he just doesn't fit. In, because, uh, and, and I probably said this before, Sheldon Keefe told me last year, he's he's a guy he can only play on the first two lines. Yeah. He's just not meant for a defensive role. Yeah. Uh, so he's a, he's like the most logical trade candidate on the team. Uh, in terms of the defensemen, I think, you know, I think it was what LeBron reported was that they are uh, pursuing in their, their dream scenario as a right-handed shot defenseman who has term left on his deal. They're kind of chasing a unicorn. So I, I, I'm sure if money was no object, they would, they could, they wish they could snap their finger and put Drew Doughty into their lineup. Right. <laughs> but I do think a guy to watch would be Matt Dumba on the Minnesota Wild. Mm. He's someone, he's had a bad year. I think ever since his pectoral injury last year, numbers have not been the same. So you hope that it's not a long-term lingering injury situation that's holding him back. But in terms of his skill set, uh, he was really on a nice upward trajectory last year. He's Certainly. one of the better goal-scoring artists among defensemen in the league. He's physical. He's pretty well-rounded. He can play big minutes. Uh, I was expecting him to have a really big year. Was, he had so much momentum last year. So I think there's still time, plenty of time for him. He's the same draft class as Morgan Riley. Um, so I do think that he would be uh, the ideal target. But if you are to get a guy like Dumba, 
um, then you have to sacrifice someone significant. So like you said, Ryan, Kasperi Kapanen, Andreas Janssen, and I think Alexander Kerfoot is the other name being thrown yeah, out there. So true. you got to give you got to give something. I think the price would have to be pretty significant. But it sounds like the Leafs are feeling a bit of desperation. I especially think Kyle Dubas is. Um, they're going to do whatever they can to upgrade because they need they can't miss the playoffs. Yeah, pretty disastrous yep. for them. Uh, next question. We're going to go back to Jeremy for this one. Jeremy 2.0. Jeremy asks, do you think holding the All-Star game after all but two teams are done, like the NFL does with the Pro Bowl before the Super Bowl, would increase player attendance uh, and or intensity at all? No. No. <laughs> the end. Um, no, I mean, the Pro Bowl is even worse than the NHL All-Star game. And... I, I don't know what you do to make the players more excited for the All-Star game, other than I think I suggested the other night that they have to toss in their own favorite watch into a pool, and then the losing team just loses that watch to the winning team. Then you'd get guys actually trying. But even then, I mean, I guess they can just ask Tissot or whoever for another luxury watch, so it wouldn't really matter that much. But it's it's just a, you know, it's the All-Star game. It's It's fun for kids it's fun for the the city that's hosting it it's fun for you know the the corporate sponsors and things like that they do the parties and and, and whatnot in terms of the players themselves you know you do a format change every once in a while it might spice it up a little bit but they don't want to get hurt mm-hmm. they don't want to look silly so it that, this is what we get yeah I, I agree uh and if there's one thing We've learned about hockey players, and this is, this is something that's very unique to hockey players because of the nature of the playoff format as well. It's not like you're playing one game a week like in football. Hmm. Um, when players' seasons end, that's when they're in the worst shape physically. Yes. Their bodies are sinew. They're, they're, they're just skinny fat. It's skinny called. fat. That's what trainers have told us many yeah. times over the years. The guys are in their, their physical peak condition in probably September, and they slowly, especially if they go, go on deep playoff runs, everything breaks down. So if you were doing it, let's say, you know, an all, I think in this example it would mean an all-star game before the Stanley Cup final. Like, would, would that mean you can't invite guys that just were in the conference final and lost and they're all banged up? and I think players are just ready to peace out, play golf, yeah. with their families, do whatever they have to do. A lot of them have to get lots of surgeries. Yeah. Um, that's the time of year of like, Sean Monaghan actually had like eight different broken bones and needed yeah. surgery, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, he so, has three fingers left. Yeah, exactly. So I don't think uh, it would work. I think I think this is as good as it's going to get, as you've implied, Ryan. It's just, yeah. you're not going to get that max effort. It's just, you know, even with a million dollars being dangled, it doesn't seem to matter. It is what it is. The classic yeah. case of it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, next one, and Ryan, this is more of one for your domain because I'm not as familiar with him yet. Okay. Um, and this is Yohal21 asks, how good is Tyler Madden and what is his ceiling? I know that he is not a, a big, big, powerful center. Right. Um, so I assume that means he's got good wheels. But again, when players and prospects are at this stage, they're more Ryan's domain. Uh, I do believe that it's going to be a tough depth chart to climb because mm-hmm. the Canucks are very deep down the middle. They have Elias Pettersson. They have Bo Horvath. They have Adam Gaudet. Um, so it's hard to say what his ceiling is going to be, but Ryan, this is your domain for sure, so give it a shot. Yeah, I mean, Tyler Madden has had a fantastic NCAA career with Northeastern so far, and I think what you're looking at is a guy that can play anywhere from your second to your fourth line, and the good thing about being a natural center is that you can go to the wing and have success. I mean, we've seen a lot of junior players make that transition out of necessity, and you know, for Tyler Madden, you're getting the NHL pedigree. You know, his dad, John Madden, obviously a longtime New Jersey Devils uh, stalwart. 
you know, Tyler Madden, he's becoming an even more well-rounded young player. And I think he's one of those guys where you can plug him into different parts of a lineup and get value. So that's, that's sort of where I see him. He doesn't have a ton of size, but... I, I see him going anywhere from the second to the fourth line and, and helping the Canucks out. And, you know, I mean, versatility and, and depth is obviously a huge advantage to have. And, I mean, you look at the Canucks as a whole right now, and they've pretty much got most of the pieces. It's just a matter of seasoning, guys getting faster, stronger, bigger um, as they mature into their, their NHL careers. And I think, I think Madden can be a part of that puzzle. Very good. Uh, next question. we got time for a few more. This is from AJ Strong. And AJ asks, what do the Sharks do to rebuild? That's a very – it's a great question. It's a very difficult question because the Sharks are, to me, and I believe we said this a few weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken, or, or I just said it in conversation with someone. But the Sharks are looking a bit like where Detroit was a few years ago, where they're mm. just at the top of the roller coaster on all of their best players are getting into their 30s and they're about to – start to crash and I know people feel like they're invincible because they've been so successful under Doug Wilson they are but that doesn't mean that an empire can't eventually crumble it happens to every team it's cyclical every team eventually will have you know Detroit did last 25 years without having to do it but they eventually still had to rebuild uh, the Sharks, you know, the problem is their core is aging. And because they've, because they've been good, so good for so long, they were not picking high in the draft. Their prospect crop is not very good right now. They also traded away some of their best prospects, like Josh Norris. Yep. Uh, and their other best prospect, Ryan Merkley, is a wild card to say the least. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I do think it, the good news is you have Thomas Hurdle, you have Timo Meyer, guys like that to build around. But what you may have to do is find a way. You know, I think you have to consider buying out Martin Jones, who's been the worst goaltender in the NHL for two years running now. Uh, and that's I, I feel bad to say that, but just it's, the numbers are right there. If you go to naturalstattrick.com and check it out, it, it's cruel to Martin Jones, right. that website right now. Um, but you have to free up some cap space, I think, because that gives you the ability to maybe sign someone younger or even just have cap flexibility to maybe make trades with teams and take on more picks as a result. So I do think the Sharks need to get back to picking in the first round. And when they do get those picks, I mean, that's where they got Timo Meyer, right? That one playoff miss in that long run of of success was the year they got Timo Meyer. And it wasn't even a top five pick. It wasn't, right? (laughs) If I remember correctly, it was ninth overall. I think it was, yeah. So uh, I do think that, you know, it's a matter of is the denial going to go away? If Doug Wilson and the Sharks, you know, I almost wonder, like, do you need to finally give up the ghost with, the bringing back Joe Thornton over and over um, if Joe Thornton wants to keep playing because it's like maybe this team needs to have more spots available on the roster for younger players. You need to get younger. You need to get a little bit worse maybe. Maybe miss the play. It's funny. Every time we're talking about a team on the cusp, I'm always like, tank, tank, tank. Yeah, yeah. It's just to me, I know hockey's a business and owners don't want to tank. They want to see their teams making the playoffs every year. But I I still think the teams that go the furthest are the ones that they – Strip it down. And then they build back up. So that's where I stand. Yeah, for me, I think San Jose has to make some really painful decisions. If they want to get themselves back to that level of Stanley Cup contender, the problem with Joe Thornton is that he's he's still very useful. And he's no longer at the point where he's part of a coalition that's elite. Um, the same with Patrick Marlowe. But he's not horrible, so you can't just leave this roster and... I mean, they don't have their first rounder this year, which is so cruel, Mm -hmm. because it might be number one overall. 
Um, so this year's kind of a wash. This year you kind of don't do anything because it doesn't matter. Just turn off the draft because it's, just, just, it's a good draft class. To yeah, just don't think about it. But, you know, like next year, for example, if you can move – Either move Thornton or just not re-sign him. If you know, same with Marlowe. I think you have to do that because you have to move on from those glory years and start something new. Now, luckily, you've got that connective tissue with guys like Logan Couture, Evander Kane, guys that have been around for a long time. Brent Burns, for example. Um, so it's not a total teardown because you still have some guys that are quite viable. But you're right. I mean, they do need to open up some spots and they do need to get some more top end prospects. So, I mean, the best case scenario, I think, is if they can trade Brendan Dillon for a fairly high draft pick. I don't know if you can get a first for him. You can probably get a yeah. second. second. I think a second would be a win. If they yeah. Get a second for Brendan Dillon, I think more likely a third, but you never know. Yeah. So if, you know, if you could. I mean, what would be ideal is if you get a second for Brendan Dillon plus whatever else, and maybe you package a couple of picks and get back into the first round if that's possible. I don't know. Um, and then you start getting on that train of bringing Ryan Merkley up. And I, I think in in the Sharks environment, Ryan Merkley could be successful because you have a veteran decor where you can pair him on and off the ice mm-hmm. with Brent Burns, Mark Edward Vlasic, you know, guys that know how to be professionals, then I think Ryan Merkley would be quite the asset because he's an amazing skater. He's an amazing offensive player. Ever since he got traded to London in the OHL, he's been problem-free as far as we know. So there's potential there. But the Sharks need to have space for guys like him and then any other young forwards like Sasha Chemilevsky, Ivan Chekovich. I mean, they have a whole bunch of guys that they just need to kind of, you know, field test for a long stretch. And I think you need the luxury of not really caring where you are in the standings in order to do that earnestly. And they're not – I think they're probably getting there. But, again, you still have roster spots taking up by these – franchise legends. Yeah, that's right. And you make a really good point about the room, and it kind of reminds me of, of Evander Kane's career trajectory, because now it feels like it's starting to fade away in the rearview mirror, the idea of, of, of quote-unquote Evander Kane team cancer and the tracksuit in the shower. And since he's gotten to San Jose, he's jived really well with that team. He got into a room that had so many good leaders, and I don't think mm-hmm. it's coincidence that you're seeing more consistency and less you know, negative press. Right. Other than other than Ryan Ryan Reeves related press right. around Evander Kane. But that's all fun. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we're going to take two more questions. Uh, this one's from John McFarland. Assuming Jeff Blaschel is let go, who will be the next new coach for the Detroit Red Wings? Uh, I'm going to guess Peter Laviolette. Uh, this is a team that needs someone who, you know, all due respect to Jeff Blaschel, uh, you know, he he had a tough job because he's totally. taking this team during its bottoming, bottoming out period. Um, but I think now it's time to bring in a coach that has more of a history of to be blunt, success, right, and deep playoff runs and Stanley Cup Finals, Stanley Cup rings. He won with Carolina, uh, so I think Peter Laviolette would be a guy who is ready to, you know, even if he's coming off, you know, sort of stock a stock down moment by getting fired from Nashville. I think coming into Detroit, what he's done with Nashville taking them, you know, as a 16 seed to the Cup Final of 2017, he's still going to be a huge upgrade in terms of just just the structure and the experience he has, uh, and. I think maybe at this point he's going to catch them at the right time when Detroit, some of their bad contracts are finally starting to expire. You're seeing it, especially on defense this year. 
Uh, you can start giving the young guys, like the Phillips Adinas and Joe Valeno eventually, a lot more of an opportunity. We saw Eric Stahl, a good young center, blossom under Peter, La- Peter Laviolette. Uh, and his teams are very consistently offensively potent and generate a lot of pressure, and I think Detroit hasn't fielded a good offense for a long time. Uh, but if you look at you know, the Zadina, Valeno, Larkin trifecta building around that group, uh, then I think Laviolette would be a good fit. Mm, that's certainly a good pick. I'll, I'll, I'll say Gerard Gallant, mm. and obviously they're going to have to fight off Seattle for that uh, hiring, but the advantage that Detroit has is Gallant can work next year as opposed to the year after that and played with Steve Eiserman and he played with Steve Eiserman you know he he has worn the Red Wings uniform in his playing days so obviously there's some familiarity there and we know Gerard Gallant can get results with a new squad and and pretty quickly so I, I think that would be a great fit and like I say they're gonna have to fight off Seattle to to win his rights but I think he would be a, a great choice there all right excellent last question it's gonna be quick because we, we have touched on this guy already this is from Jerry uh, and his question is about Ryan Johansson. Uh, is Ryan Johansson a possible trade asset for Nashville? I'm going to say no because the $8 million at least, as I said, cap hit and a lot of term left on that contract. So it's too much of a headache for a team to acquire him right now. Um, just cap-wise in, in the present, but just because you're not just getting him for a year or two. He's just You're committed to him for a long time, and it's debatable whether he's producing at a rate to match the, the AAV of that contract and even if Nashville were to eat even if you were to eat half the contract then you're still on the hook for several more years mm-hmm. for you know $4 million if you ate 50% so I don't think anyone wins in that scenario um, I think it's more likely that the relief for Ryan Johansson will be the expansion draft as I said yeah I, with that contract you know the the return is the fact that you no longer have that cap hit so you're looking at the sort of trade that it's like Ryan Johansson and a second round pick for some prospect. Yeah. For air. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you move on and you try to use that cap space as well as you can. Yeah, that's fair. Well, that is it for this week, everyone. The Mailbag Podcast is complete. And go to thehockeynews.com if you want to learn more about becoming a member, subscribing to our magazine. Next time around, we'll be back. Uh, I've got a fantasy hockey podcast coming later this week. And then next week, we'll do a regular old-fashioned podcast. There'll be new hockey to talk about. Thank you for listening or watching.